everybody. Welcome to Black T-Shirt Talk. <laughs> no, wait, that's not what we're recording right now. We're recording still to be determined. This is the podcast that follows up topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. For those listeners who are listening completely without video, my black t-shirt joke won't make sense. But for those of you on YouTube, we're all having fun, aren't we? <laughs> I'm Sean Farrell. I'm Matt's older brother. I'm also a writer. I'll be asking him the questions about his latest episode. And Matt, of course, is here. Matt, say hi. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm okay. It's marathon day here in New York City. So there's currently tens of thousands of people running in front of my house. <laughs> and is that unusual? <laughs> it happens every year just like this. Magically, we end up with tens of thousands of people who run past our house and people standing in front of the house who are cheering them on because you know, we love we love that kind of endeavor. Everybody loves that except for my son whose bedroom is on the street. So facing the people when running. He by. wakes up in the morning and people are cheering. He's not too happy about that. But for the rest of us, go marathoners. And I hope that the changing of the clocks with daylight savings hasn't screwed anybody up. <laughs> for the rest of the world, I would say no. Only yeah, for the United for States. For the rest of the world. For the United <laughs> States, yeah, we'd like to pretend that we can change time. There's a need for us to change time. So as usual, what we're gonna do is we're gonna examine Matt's most recent episode. And this one is a fairly I mean, it seems like something right out of sci-fi. Oh, it is. We talk about Matt's most recent episode, exploring why this nuclear fusion breakthrough matters. And this is an episode that dropped on November 2nd, 2021. And as of the time of this recording, it already has more than a million views. This is something (laughs) that has really kind of hooked a lot of people. And right out of the gate, I have to say, This was an episode that I thought was interesting for one reason. I understood everything that was being said. Yeah. Yeah. Your interview <laughs> with this, he's, a, he's at MIT, right? Yes. Yep. His name again? Dr. Martin Greenwald. Dr. Greenwald. Dr. Greenwald, I thought, did a terrific job of really kind of like breaking this all down into terms that made it easily understood everything from the amount of material needed for this kind of reaction to provide electricity for an individual for a year being equivalent to lint in your pocket. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's, it's very uh, easy to wrap your head around some of the concepts while the details obviously are not within easy reach, but his big picture thinking his discussion around this really does create the idea that it's tangibly within reach. Yeah, that that's what I took away from this breakthrough was it finally feels like it's not just, oh, it's some 30 years in the future kind of a thing that's always moving, or it feels like, oh, wait, we actually do seem to see the goalpost now. Like it actually is in view and it feels like it's an achievable thing. Yeah. Um, but once again, it's like we're going to have to wait four or five more years before we actually get a true sense of how close it actually is. Yeah. A number of the comments on the video went the route of, of making jokes like one individual's Mm -hmm. joke that stood out was we've gone from it being 30 years away to only being three decades away. (laughs) 
I thought that was an interesting framing. But I wonder if in part, and I'm curious about your thoughts about this, not just in the realm of fusion, but in other technologies. Do you think this aspect of it being, of feeling like the the length of time is shrinking is born from the fact that it felt very much like they weren't talking about theory. They were talking about the physical ability to do the thing that they've mm-hmm. planned. Right. One of the things that he talked about was back in the, was it the eighties when the tape that they use now to create the magnets that they're using, mm-hmm. when that was developed, it was an interesting pretty much academic exercise yes that nobody saw a practical application for now here we are in you know past the first fifth into the 21st century of the now 40 years past that mark of oh it's an academic exercise and into we see the practical application we know what shape the puzzle piece needs to be yep. in order to fit. And I'm wondering not just about fusion, but about other technologies that you've talked about on the channel. Is this a case where you see, oh, the players know all the shapes of all the puzzle pieces and they, they feel like they just need to snap them in the right places and they'll be in one magnificent step ahead of where they were. Right. Versus other technologies that you've looked at. And in those other technologies you've looked at, looked at, do you think that they are in an equivalent footing or are they ahead of that? Or in some cases, are they behind it? Um, I guess one way to answer that would be to say this ties into a video that I just did a few weeks ago, the five debunk technologies that changed the world. Yeah. It's one of those, we don't know what we don't know until we get to there. So it's like a lot of this whole fusion's never going to happen or it's 30 years away comes from our current understanding of how we actually make something happen where the math and the physics behind fusion, they know how to do it. It's like, we know that mathematically it's possible. We just hadn't, didn't have the technical know-how to actually make it happen. And so it's a matter of all these little puzzle pieces coming together and like the high temperature superconductor you're talking about, that tape, it's like that academic wow look we came up with this high temperature superconductor isn't this cool and everybody's like yeah it's really cool but we can't really make it and make something useful out of it and then it takes 40 years for somebody to go wait a minute (laughs) they can actually manufacture this now and we can make it as a bendable tape which means we can create a super magnet out of it so it's it's one of those you're waiting for all those puzzle pieces to come together to be able to achieve the math that we know that's possible and we have finally achieved all those little puzzle pieces and they're starting to click together which is why it's finally starting to feel like fusion's actually within reach because we have the puzzle pieces now where we were missing one or two little puzzle pieces. They found them now. Right. So it's Elon Musk has said about uh, doing all these things for SpaceX and Tesla. It's always, it's the hardest part about doing whatever you do is the manufacturing of it. The manufacturing is the hardest part. Coming up with the idea and the solution is actually the easiest part. Designing the thing is easy manufacturing at scale is hard and that's basically what fusion is doing fusion research is at the stage right now where mathematically they know it's possible but now they're trying to figure out how to actually make it happen and they have to figure out how to make it happen in in a cheap efficient 
a way that they can reproduce again and again and again around the world. And that's where they're at right now, just at the beginning of that stage. Right. So it's not like it's going to be here in 10 years because there's going to be all this stuff to come ahead. When you relate this to other technologies, I would say Fusion's obviously way behind everybody else because like when you're talking about things like small modular nuclear reactors and thorium reactors and uh, uh, using old technologies like flywheels and finding new ways to use them today because we have a better understanding of technology and putting them to use today for energy storage. All of those things are further ahead, but it comes back to the same basic principle of here's like for flywheels, here's an old technology that we've found new ways to use because we have new technologies available to us today. So it's, it's like at the time, flywheels, oh, interesting, isn't that neat? <laughs> but now yeah. it's like, wait, we can actually create some crazy cool high efficiency energy storage using flywheels. Um, so in my, my, my take would be Fusion is still behind everybody else because it's still so out there on the fringe compared right. to other things. So like there were a bunch of comments I saw about like, well, what about thorium technology? And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, thorium is ahead of Fusion and thorium may become a reality in the next decade. But that doesn't mean we just stop looking at fusion. It's, it right. doesn't mean that we have to kind of set that aside. Yeah. Especially when the potential seems so remarkable. Yeah. It seems like you, know, you don't give up on trying to improve train efficiency just because planes exist. Right. And But at the end of the day, there are cases where you're going to say the plane is going to be the much better option for this case for me to... Mm -hmm get from point A to point B as fast as possible. And it seems like there's a certain point where we've used the analogy of putting the pieces together, putting the puzzle together. It feels very much like this is an example of putting a puzzle together where all the pieces are just solid black. <laughs> the point isn't to know what the, sh the image is going to be when you're done. The point is just getting the puzzle pieces together. And you know, the research in the 80s that was seen as largely, well, that's a neat thing, but it doesn't do anything practical for us. Where we're standing right now, the video that you produced just this week seems very much to me to be an argument in favor of we should be funding scientific research for scientific research's sake as opposed to seeking to fund only those things that have a clear practical application because we don't know where that thing that somebody discovers today might end up 50 or 100 years from now. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's like f helping to give grants to universities and research facilities that are in, in an academic way looking into this stuff. I think it's valuable. And if you look at the history from, I think it's from the 50s until now, I had been looking into this just over the past weekend. Um, the amount of money that the US government has put into fusion energy research it's a lot. You're putting in like, you know, $250 million a year more recently. They've been funding into fusion energy research. That's a drop in the bucket based on what they're putting into solar and other renewable technologies. It's a drop in the bucket, but it's, it's still money that helps to kind of, kind of, it's like turning the car, ignition on a car. It's like they're, they're trying to feed that hopper so that, that you can find those new technologies that could, you don't know what they're going to be able to, uh, spur in the future but you have to seed it now or it's never going to happen and then we can end up stalling innovation but at the same time there's a point where the ignition has been turned and then you can start to dial that back and let the free market and companies take over and, it, and what's interesting is like mit which spun this off into 
Commonwealth Fusion Systems, which is based here in Massachusetts. It's they have received grants from the government, but they've also raised $200 million from venture capitalists and private companies and investors. So it's like they are spinning it now from that government funded point to the privately funded point. And because they're going privately funded and they're going down that corporate structure, they're being lean, mean, and nimble in how they're approaching this, where like government funded projects like the Eater Project in France is just this monstrous, slow moving, huge thing. So it's interesting to see how we're at this kind of tipping point, it feels like right now, where it's going to start to shift from public to private, because right. that's where the real, that like like dumping gasoline on a fire, is. that's where it's going to happen. Right. So in the next, I would say, if companies like CFS and others that are also doing research just like this, start to show a Q of one, a Q of two, a Q of five, uh, Martin even brought it up near the end of my interview. He said, that's when you're going to start to see like crazy funding coming in from the private sector, because it's going to be like, oh, this is actually possible. Let's now race to the finish line and see who can get there first. Right. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds in the future. When it came to Q, do you think that the goals of getting a Q of five, eight, ten? is going to affect the way that Q deals with Captain Picard, or do you think that it's <laughs> not going to have an impact? I'm sorry, we'll just stick to the video. We'll just stick to the video. So regarding Q, did, did the professor have any, did he give any indication if he were to say, I'd be willing to bet five years, 10 years, did mm-hmm. he say anything along those lines as to when he sees suddenly this step forward happening? He was very careful in how he, I asked him those kind of questions. He was very yeah. careful in his wording back to me. Yeah, I actually had a follow-up with him because there's a huge disconnect between people like us who under, look at fusion energy and the researchers that are doing it because they often talk about, oh, get to Q of one and it's, you know, power, you know, equal. Right. And there's a, and I brought it up in the video because that actually doesn't matter. That Q of one is not true one-to-one because it took far more energy still from the entire facility to feed into the process. It's only right. that, that power thing. It's a little um, bit like if I, if I can jump in with an analogy, it feels like it's a little bit like you can reach a point where your pedaling of a bike is effortless. Mm-hmm. But all the pedaling you had to do to get up to that speed is also part of the measurement of how much energy did this take. Yeah, that's a good analogy. But there's like there's Q, something called Q total. It's also referred to as Q engineering. And that's where you start to look at, well, is it truly giving us more energy back than we're actually putting in? Um, right. We're not there yet. And I, when I did a follow-up questions with him a few days later after the initial interview, he wrote me back this very thoughtful explanation of basically saying, yeah, there is a disconnect between researchers and the public. And he, he kind of apologized to me of like, I should have been a little more clear in that my wording to you. But it's the way he laid it out, I thought it was perfect, which was um, we have to achieve this Q of the, for the power, the Q power. That's where we have to start. It's like, we can't just be like, be like okay, we're going to work on this being totally positive for energy because we don't we haven't achieved the base steps we have to take one step at a time right which is when i worded it as we have to learn to walk before we can run it's yeah 
But the disconnect in how it's communicated, it gives a lot of the public, I don't know if you saw this in the comments, it gives a lot of the public the perception that there's a fraud going on, that the researchers are knowingly trying to deceive the public and knowingly trying to deceive investors to receive grants and all that kind of stuff because they know that that's, it's not true and not possible. And that is not the case at all. Yeah. It's people who are in the fusion space understand all of these things. It's the people that are outside like us that look at it and don't quite grasp the, the nuance that we can then draw those conclusions that there's some kind of conspiracy or fraud at play. And there's really not. Yeah. You made the comment in the video and you just reminded us of it just now, the idea of you've got to walk before you can run. Based on everything that's been set up to this point, it seems very much like if you have to walk before you can run, where we currently are is at the toddler who has to hold on to yes. the sofa stage. Yeah. We're not even toddling yet. No. Um, but we're certainly not crawling. And we're certainly not just sitting there like a little lump in our diaper. Um some of the comments that were on this video, you mentioned some of the ones that think that this is a bit of a shell game. I wasn't going to go into too many of those, but I was going to share some of the thoughts that were either comparing this to other technologies or just talking about this as a interesting state to be in right now. Andy Farley said of this, it kind of feels like the very beginning of the computer revolution, a sense of technologies falling into place and horizons opening up. I thought that that was a really yep. good frame. I like Beginning that. of the internet. When you, mm -hmm. you know, you first logged on, you sent your first email and you started to think about, well, what is the internet as a thing? And of course now here we are, we're providing video content through a platform that has billions upon billions of hours of content provided by people all around the world. And little did we know, in the year 2000, that that's what YouTube would become. There was also this from Munich FX. Munich, I'm right with you on this. Munich wrote, fusion is rather simple. The tough part is figuring out time travel so we can jump forward 30 years. <laughs> yes, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> then there was this from Athol Mullen who wrote, and I'm just going to synopsize uh, Mr. Mulan's comment to the first two paragraphs. He writes, in the meantime, molten salt reactors, which by definition cannot melt down, need to be commercialized. Thorium molten salt reactors have significant potential benefits, including far more plentiful fuel than uranium fueled reactors without the need for enrichment and minimal proliferation issues. And you've done videos before about the thorium reactors. And I just wanted to, ask you really quickly here has there been any equivalent jump forward in that sector while you're talking about here the the fusion sectors had this discovery recently where they're saying like this is a moment has there been anything equivalent on the thorium side i, I would say no i did a video on that i think it was maybe a year and a half ago and there haven't been like any like milestones since then because they're already they're obviously way ahead of where fusion is. Um, there's going to be thorium reactors coming online in the next five to 10 years, hands down. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of who's going to build the first ones, when are they going to really start to spin up? And then the big question mark for me around those is cost. It's like one of the reasons when people leave comments that say, just go nuclear. When I talk about solar panels, 
Right. The reason we're not just going nuclear is cost. Nuclear right. reactors are extremely expensive when you look at other forms of energy generation. And right now, thorium is in the same boat. It's like, okay, it's a very promising technology, but it's going to be very expensive to build those first reactors. So it's like, who's going to, who's going to like, like gambling, who's going to roll the dice and invest in that technology because they think it is the future. That's the giant question mark. It's really comes right. down to cost, not capability because we can do it. Yeah. That's an interesting point because it raises the issue of how many major investors are sitting on the side watching these various technologies move forward at the pace at which they they have to because of the amount of research and and experimentation that has to go on but how many of those investors are standing there holding onto their money where that money if it was put into one or another could help push things forward a little bit and it's a little bit of a game of chicken between the the researchers who are desperate for that funding and the investors who don't want to lose by putting their money on the wrong horse and that's that's where, as you mentioned before, that's where public money, that's where government action yep. is the, is part of the driving force and so necessary in this. Yep. Lastly, there was this from Jimson Benilia who wrote, aside from the unnecessary demonization of fission energy, which I thought was interesting because you didn't necessarily demonize it. You just talked about what it is and what would come out of it. This is an excellent video. It's specific. It's specially satisfying to see mainstream YouTubers factor into the equation the net electricity gain factor, which is something that has been kept under the curtain and created a lot of misinformation in the breakthroughs of fusion reactors. I think that speaks directly to what you talked about before. The idea that there is a difficulty in the lay audience, of which I include not only myself, but you, mm -hmm. our understanding of, well, if you can do this isn't that what you were trying to do. And yeah. at this point, the researchers are saying, yes, we can do this, but this is not all we wanted to do. We yeah, can't exactly. do the goal that we're trying to achieve until we can do it five times over. And part of the problem is a lot of the media reporting that you see around fusion leaves this out. So it's like it's people, reporters that aren't necessarily in the know writing articles about it and they leave all this stuff out so it gives it kind of perpetuates that perception of oh we hit q of one we got it we're done it's like right. no no this is <laughs> we're now walking when we hit q of one <laughs> right i think that that demonstrate this is a bit of a game of telephone mm -hmm. where the researchers tell a reporter the reporter tells the public but between the reporter and the public is also an editor and the mm -hmm. editor is maybe going to write a headline that says we've done it yep fusion energy and meanwhile the researchers at home trying to eat their dinner and looking at the article pop up online and saying oh god no that's not what i said yep and that those details are often buried or left to you know, the, the constant, um, I'm amazed always at the willingness of the people who are doing this work in these videos you produce to talk to you. And I yeah. don't mean that as a slight against no. you. No, you're great. You're my brother. I love you. <laughs> my point is they want to get all of those middle persons who are misconstruing, misrepresenting. They want that removed and they want to be able to say to the public look here's where we are and here's what we're trying to do and 
their willingness to talk to you is a demonstration of that. So uh, I think it's fantastic that you are, first of all, reaching out to these people, but that they're willing to do it. So my thanks to Dr. Greenwald and yeah. all the other people that you've had on your videos as lead people driving very interesting fields of research and taking their time out to say to you, let me explain. So yeah, that's no, really, I want to thank, I want to, I want to thank, uh, uh, CFS, MIT and Dr. Greenwald. They took the time to not only talk to me, but they answered all of my follow-up questions and I was able to kind of send them early versions of the video to kind of make sure I didn't have any factual error errors and things like that. So it was, they were very, very helpful in producing that video to make sure I didn't misstate anything. Yeah. So it was, it was great. And also tip of the hat to you for saying that the name of your video was exploring why this nuclear fusion breakthrough matters as opposed to saying we did it. Yeah. Exactly. You didn't fall. You didn't fall into the trap. No. So listeners, tell us what you think about all this. I think it's pretty remarkable. I think it's, it's uh, making for a fascinating thought experiment to say in 50 years, what sort of energy production might come out of this and not just here on earth, but this kind of discovery, this kind of thing, I can't help but think there will be a satellite that has one of these little reactors in it, pushing it out into space and <laughs> heading, heading in places that we've never been before because it will have a little engine that can produce energy in a remarkable way. A little Mr. Fusion on our cars. Exactly. <laughs> Just put some banana peels, what's left of a can of Coke, and then get that thing up to 88 miles per hour. We don't need roads. No. Don't forget, if you're listening to us, you're doing us a favor. You're supporting us just by listening. You can support us even more by subscribing, by liking, by sharing it with your friends. There's also a way to directly support the podcast. You can visit stilltbd.fm and you'll see the support the podcast link there. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, you can look at the membership button, which is the join button directly below the video, and you can join us. Please be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. All of that really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew yells at me, we did it! <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.